welcome back to Educate Ebony, the prog edition. And oh my gosh, how good was it to have Ian Kenny from Carnival to kick off the season? I'm so stoked with how many of you tuned in to hear him chat about Soundgarden's album Super Unknown. And if that's convinced you to tune in for future episodes or past episodes, that's awesome. Thanks and welcome again. I do always talk about the previous episode's album and what I thought. And with Super Unknown, I do have a few thoughts. First of all, I reckon Chris Cornell's vocals are incredible. I think the tone of his voice is, you know, really recognisable and the way that he can rough it up for those choruses or sing almost sweetly in his own way in uh, Black Hole Sun, for example. It's really awesome to listen to. I think there are so many cool elements that go into making this album and I think that I'd have to listen to it many, many more times to really hear everything. But the guitars definitely stood out for me. Just some really, really cool guitar parts, melodies, whatever they're called, you know, in songs like Fell on Black Days or Limo Wreck or stuff like that. And I do reckon my favorite track would have to be Spoon Man. What a song. They go on some tangents in there and I love it. So yeah, big thanks to Ian Kenny for introducing me to Soundgarden Super Unknown. Anyway, I'm really excited for this episode. I loved, loved this chat. It was a really good time. And before we kick it off, this is the usual now. Come find me on socials. Come say hi at Educate Ebony. If you want to give the podcast a rating, go for it. Uh, It would just be really cool to, I guess, reach more people and get a little bit bigger and talk to even more bands and artists and people in the scene. But anyway, uh, enough of plugging myself. Let's get into it. Alrighty. Okay. For this episode of Educate Ebony, the prog edition, I would love to introduce Scott Kay. You may have heard of his work in Voyager, Perth's prog rock metal and everything in between band. He's also an incredible guitarist and has multiple other projects on the go, including Absent Hearts and Onslow, and he teaches guitar as well. So, oh, also, yes, this was months ago, but another cool fact is that earlier this year, he competed with Voyager to be Australia's Eurovision contestant. They came second, which is a huge achievement, and I did vote for them like at least 10 times. So, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is an awesome experience. Oh, I'm so glad you think. I do want to ask, and I didn't really ask this for previous seasons about the genre, but I do feel like prog is very broad and people can have lots of different interpretations. So what does prog mean to you? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, really since um, maybe like five or six years ago, I kind of did a reflection on genres in general. And, and to me, it feels like it's so much more about what the music says to you rather than being sort of a... Uh, an advocate for a particular genre progressive music is so like you said it's so broad and and to me it's i think progressive music really is just about being exploratory in what you're doing that it's more it's more than just maybe the the sum of its parts if you know what i mean so Mm. you know the album that I want to talk about is really a good example of that where it might sound like there's some simplicity in the songwriting but really it's about the music as a broad listen like to me my favorite progressive records really take me somewhere they, they take me on a journey they put me in a new place visually or, or mentally or however you want to think about it so yeah to me I think progressive music is really just about being exploratory and what you're doing and and that can really be anything honestly that's why to me it feels like using genres to define something to me it, it feels a little it's almost like doing a disservice to the music in a way because the music can really be anything. It can be heavy. It can be light. It can be everything in between, but it's really about, I guess, what the music is trying to do for the listener. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that yeah. answers the question, but I always find genres to be such a weird thing to talk about these days because really I don't I don't tend to listen to music in that way anymore. I don't listen to music to be like, is this progressive? Is this X or is it Y? But I guess, you know, when it comes down to it, you can sort of pigeonhole things or move things into certain styles. But yeah, I think progressive music is just having fun and exploring something conceptually. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm excited to hear what is the one prog album that I need to hear. Before I jump into which one I've chosen, I'm just going to give honorable mention to two albums that came like very close. Okay. Um, one being <laughs> one being Devin Townsend's Infinity album. Oh. Um, that was the second album that he did under his solo moniker. To me, it's a real, it was like a real personal album for me. It, the album feels very existential. Um, and so it was more... I think my love of that album is more coming from a, a very personal place rather than anything else. So that's probably a little harder to talk about. And the other one is Pitfalls by Leprous, which in my humble opinion is the best progressive record released in the last decade. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah. So the only reason I didn't choose that album is because it's only been around for what, coming on three years oh, and so okay. i feel like i don't know whether whether the vintage of of the record really matters in this conversation oh no that's um, good it's good but yeah i mean in, in my opinion that that's one of the best things i've heard in in an extremely long time so you know if, if for all the listeners out there that want to actually check out some more stuff other than the record i'm going to talk about um i'd highly recommend pitfalls by leprous and infinity by devon but the album i've chosen is actually another devon townsend record which is ocean machine which is actually Devin's first album under his solo name. So yeah, that's what I've kind of landed on after a lot of <laughs> a lot of thinking. Yes. Um, I'm a I'm a massive massive Devin nut. I really really love his early work in particular. So I'm ready to just dive on in. I'm ready. <laughs> Have you heard this album? I've never actually listened to any Devin Townsend, and I feel like people are going to hate me for saying that, but it's very true. <laughs> Not everyone, no one's perfect, <laughs> but well, it's hey, always I mean, been on my there's, list. There's room for growth. Yeah, definitely. There's room is. for growth in all of this. That's why yeah. I'm getting educated right here, right now. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think it's great. I think this is such a great idea for a podcast, honestly, because I think we all get very stuck in the things that we listen to. And, and this is like the perfect way to to sell something that maybe, you know, might spark your interest. So I think this is a wicked idea. Yeah, thank you. It's definitely, um, <laughs> definitely for me, just being like, well, yeah. <laughs> let's just explore a little bit more. And I need a reason. Well, I don't need a reason, but it's a good push to actually do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think there's there's so much music out there. You know, you could spend your entire life looking for the music that you really want to listen to and not find it. Ultimately, um, oh, yeah. And some people some people get lucky with that. And honestly, Devin was one of those things for me. Like, I found his music right at a very pivotal point in my life. It was like when I was 14, 15 years old, and I was looking for something that was very specific. I was listening to like a lot of Fear Factory at the time because they were the band that sort of most closely reflected the sound I was looking for. I was looking for something that was like synthy and heavy and melodic, um, but also like atmospheric because I've always been really big on music that, yeah, that takes me places somewhere visually. I found that like a lot of 20th century composition kind of did that for me, but I couldn't find anything in contemporary music that really did that until I found Devon's music. And it was just like, oh my God, this is, this is it. This is the music <laughs> I've been looking for. So I was lucky enough to have that moment in my teen years. So yeah, feel very blessed. <laughs> yeah, it definitely brings up the question, or not the question, but the point that you do have to actively look 
or actively seek out music or ask for recommendations and then act on it. Because if you just like go with the flow and be like, oh, I heard this cool song in a playlist on Spotify and then I followed that, you don't actually find it. So yeah, part of the reason I never listened to Devin Townsend was because I never actively looked it up and went, right, let's pick an album and let's start somewhere. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, thinking about how, like what ended up happening, you know, I found him in the period of time where LimeWire and Napster was a thing, you know, <laughs> prior to streaming, prior to any of this stuff. And and he was like, this would have been what, 2002, 2003. So he was like an obscure artist at this point in his career. Like he's he's basically a household name in heavy music these days. But back then it was like, I, I couldn't find his records anywhere. You know, I would get extremely lucky if I found one of his albums in a JB Hi-Fi, you know, in the metal section, if I was really lucky. So there was this almost concerted effort that I had to put in in order to even listen to the music at all so I remember like going through LimeWire you know this is me you know being a being a bad fan mind you um going through LimeWire and trying to find every individual track by searching for it and sort of slowly piecing the album together almost like a puzzle and it kind of felt like yeah it was like this quest to find this music that I couldn't get a hold of any other way so in a way I think that was that that is a real reflection of what you just said which is that you have to really actively search for something and sometimes that actually pays you off yeah it's definitely uh, more of a prize when you get there too yes i slaved away on the internet got rid of all yeah. the bad yeah. copies off limewire with yep. weird sounds and here we are yep <laughs> and dot exes that are actually trojan viruses and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh the good days um yep the good old days oh so what makes this album so great what elements did you really pick up and love I think the the thing about this album to me is it is in a lot of ways it is actually quite simple. <laughs> that sounds quite silly. Um it's a it's a complex album but the so some of the songs on the record are not like insanely technical. You know, when you think of progressive music we tend to immediately think of like, you know, Dream Theater and Rush and all these bands with, you know, obviously Devin's a, a ridiculous musician, but I don't believe he's really renowned for his ability to shred more than his ability to just write great songs. And so to me, the songs are so catchy. They have brilliant choruses, but the album as a whole really takes you through different moods. You know, it is a journey record that you need to listen to beginning to end to get the full experience. And to me, that's, that's what progressive music is. It's not just a matter of trying to cram as many crazy ideas into one song, but to kind of go, Hey, we've got, 60 minutes 70 minutes to take our listener somewhere and so let's let's really take our time with it let's do something that's a little bit more long form yeah, yeah. it's like a feature film rather than a, a short movie you know what i mean in a short film yeah, yeah. you could almost say that in terms of like each individual song as well instead of like an album as a whole because prog does generally feature longer songs <laughs> oh yeah four minutes yeah, is short yeah totally <laughs> Yep. Yep. Exactly. So at least for me now, me in my thirties, I honestly, I don't find myself engaging with long music a lot of the time. I find it's maybe that's just because of the way modern listening is. And I've been affected by that. Or maybe it's just because I don't, I want something that's more immediate just because of the person I am. I'm, I couldn't really separate those things, but at least for now, I feel more attached to something that gets to the point, whatever it might be with, with minor exception. The only exception I can really think of is the last track off that Leprous album, which is really long, but 
takes you places that feel meaningful you know i listen to new dream theater albums and to be perfectly honest i feel like it's just taking me on this wacky roller coaster ride and i come off it and go i'm back to the beginning but i don't feel like i've i've gained anything from listening to it you know without being too harsh whereas with this album it really is this journey just the way that the the songs sort of cascade into one another there are songs that basically the entire record almost bleeds in so it feels like one big 70 minute piece of music but there are like really distinct mood changes that happen throughout the album yes oh i'd love to get your opinion um and your thoughts on those sort of albums and songs where if you just put on the background and you listen you don't know what song you're up to you can't really tell where it is but obviously the songs have changed how do you even go about writing that do they would you like separate it out and be like this is a song here or you'd write a whole big piece and be like let's just break it in these points yeah that is a really good question I, i've never actually i wrote one album with one of my band's statues which was a concept album so i guess you could call it prog inverted commas even though the style of music was like metallic hardcore i guess yeah and that's the only experience I've ever had having to write music to fit a certain narrative because we were kind of writing a story through the album. I think a lot of it comes down to trying to find what musical, like this sounds really technical, but for me, this is how it kind of worked. I had to think of like technical examples of how to reflect a certain mood, you know? So like in one of the tracks that the main character is like suffering from PTSD and so the idea for me was like okay well let's take all of the most intense moments prior in the album and feature those riffs or ideas in this song so it's him sort of thinking back on moments in his past you know stuff like that where you can sort of use musical themes to represent something else I think that's the best way to kind of go about writing in that way but in terms of trying to create something that has a seamless flow yeah, my brain has never done something like that before. <laughs> like that's why that's probably part of the reason why I love um, I love Dev so much because and and love these albums so much because they have that. It almost feels like he did sit down and just write the whole thing beginning to end. You know, not like oh here's this cool riff that I wrote for this random song and then I wrote this song. It feels really like he had this whole idea in mind from the very beginning and then was able to kind of actualize it in real time. That's probably not how it was written. I don't know, but but that's how it feels anyway. Yeah, I can never conceptualize that sort of stuff because I did like writing in uni and creative writing and I could never do any sort of long form writing because I was like, I don't know where it's going to end up. I can't think that far ahead. I just want to do little bits now and then, you know, I'll figure it out later on. So that's yeah, incredible. Yeah, I, it really does take the, you have to kind of step back and look at it like from the furthest distance you possibly can. You know, you have to be like, okay, so what, what key points do I want to explore in this story? But like even, you know, I've heard interviews with other story writers and they say that they just kind of, they do what you do. They just go with the flow and just let their characters explore things in real time. And, and the author even makes realizations about the characters that they've written in real time as the story is being written. So I feel like there is something about that that's really cool. Um, and you can do that with, you could do that with music too. You know, you can sit down and be like, all right, I'm writing the beginning and I'm just going to keep writing indefinitely, you know, and may maybe I do need a mood change here. Maybe I need a chapter ending here, you know, but you could just sort of go from A right to Z if you want to as an experiment. I don't know. Maybe that's something I should do next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe no, I've could. actually never thought of doing it like that, to be honest. So that's, that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> well, 
uh, next Voyager album that comes out or next piece of work that you produce or do? Ebony credits. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Ebony came up with the idea of how to compose this album. That's sick. <laughs> Just a little nod. No. Uh, <laughs> 5% credits. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> Well, I mean, I know you really fought to like get this whole album and, and listen to it and discover uh, Ocean Machine, but do you remember when it first became an important album to you? Was it like a couple of years later when you're writing your own music and going back and you're like, oh, actually, this is heavily influential? I, I don't think there was a, a real pinpointed moment with this album. Um, like for me, the first Devon album I heard was Accelerated Evolution. And I can remember the exact moment that I first heard the first Devon song. I can remember that clear as day. I was coming in from school and my brother, who's five years older than me and actually is like a, a big influence on my listening because he's he got into metal way, like, you know, way earlier than I did. He had Deadhead by Devon Townsend on in the front of the front room of our house. And I remember putting my bag down and just being like, what is this? And he showed me the album and actually it was the album art that sold it for me even more. It's just this really sort of sci-fi kind of spacey looking thing. And, um, and the song was just like so epic and so heavy and so melodic. So for me, it was more like the discovery of him as an artist and that kind of genre, I guess, was, is, is like drilled into my mind. Like I'll never forget that. But then sort of the discovery of all of his other music is all a bit of a wash in my brain now. I can't really pinpoint an exact moment where I went, oh, you know, Ocean Machine is really important to me. If anything, it was just important to me like immediately oh, <laughs> because yeah, nice. it, was the, it was the music that just immediately resonated with me. So I think, I think the first track I heard of this album was Seventh Wave, which is the, the opener. And it's just like, it's got a poem at the beginning of it. It's sort of like, it's, it's already got this, uh without sounding too harsh it is a little self-important <laughs> it is a little pretentious but that is cool though it's it's poetic and and it, it it sells what he's trying to do which is he's trying to paint a picture in some way and just the way the guitars sound like when the first riff comes in in seventh wave it's just washed out with all of this epic reverb and it's like when have i ever heard rhythm guitar with delay and reverb all over it like that I've never heard that sound before, but it was wicked. It just created this immediate like cascading washy again, like kind of oceanic effect. And it was just like, Oh, sold. It already immediately puts me like on a coast somewhere where there's like a thunderstorm happening out over the ocean, you know, it just takes me there immediately. And so, yeah, that to me was what was so important about his music was just the fact that it was able to transport me so instantaneously. And then upon actually buying the album and, and listening to it beginning to end, that's where I realized the genius of the record because it, it, it really has this whole flowing effect, you know, like a river. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing about it too, is that to me, the, the, even the album art and the name of the record really immediately paints that picture. And then when you listen to the album, the name of the record and the music itself work in harmony, you know, it's not like, it's called Ocean Machine, but it reminds you of a desert. It's like, it just sounds like a wide open ocean to me, the whole album. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, you are very visual, like just the way you talk about things as well and like where you imagine mm. yourself to be. Would you say that songs that don't catch you don't really give across that sort of feel? 
Yeah, I, I have had a hard time with that, to be honest. I think it's actually kind of, in a way, almost inhibited my my listening because I don't find myself too attracted to just your average pop tune or your average kind of like rock tune for that reason, which has made me avoid, I've avoided a lot of music to my detriment for that reason, actually, if anything, where almost like I craved something bigger than myself in a way, bigger than what my eyes are seeing or what my ears are hearing. As wanky as that sounds, you it's kind of what I like. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I just like something that, that transports me somewhere that I, that's not here because, you know, I can be here all the time. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I, like, I like escapism in, in my music, I guess you could say. And I think that has actually kind of inhibited my listening in the long run, which is a bit of a bummer. So I'm trying to remedy that now. But yeah, I think that the visual thing is like huge for me and it's huge for me in terms of progressive music in particular. I think that's why I was attracted to the genre in the first place because, you know, bands like Opeth, for example, Opeth take me to like some medieval town. You know, it, it gives me this really dark, gritty, almost Game of Thrones-esque kind of feeling, you know. And so that's why I was attracted to that music. So, yeah, I think Devin was like the first big artist where that transportation to somewhere else was so significant, I guess. Yeah. And that, I guess that sort of makes you want to create that in your own music as well, right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Like the absent heart stuff in particular is, you know, at times borderline Devon Townsend worship, <laughs> um, you know, but that's fine. I'm going to wear that badge. Who cares? But yeah, to me, that music is definitely the stuff that that was written with the intent to have someone else have the same experience that I get from other music, you know, so I want to kind of like pass that that experience on if I can through, yeah, just through different ambient sounds or particular riffs or particular effects or whatever so oh that's cool have you ever had any feedback on whether like someone's like oh I feel like this when I listen to it and you're like you got it that's it 10 out of 10 yeah yeah I have had a few a few moments like that which is actually really cool and you know what it's awesome to also hear someone's experience be entirely different to yours you know someone might say like oh this this song kind of reminds me of like a a cityscape or something. I was like, oh, I never really imagined it to be that way, but like, that's awesome. You know, I think that that's what's also so rad about music is it doesn't have to be the same destination for each person. You know, everyone gets what they want out of it. Like, actually, I was I was listening to the Devin Townsend podcasts that he released about each album, oh. and Infinity to me, when I listened to it, it was like an existential crisis about being small in the universe that's what i took away from it i listened to it i was like man i feel so insignificant but that's like in a way kind of empowering and then i listened to him talk about infinity and he was like this album is a god complex like this album is about how he thinks he's king shit (laughs) and and is yeah and is like the the world's best thing and i was like oh fuck i literally took the opposite interpretation to what the record is really about which is really surprising to me. Um, but I guess that's that's what music is sometimes. It is what you want to hear or what you need at the time or whatever. So I thought that was utterly fascinating. <laughs> that, that really, it was really a, a record that, that almost broke him and broke his relationships because he got inside his own head and was kind of an egotistic maniac at the point at that time. So um, yeah, pretty crazy. So yeah, it goes to show that you can really interpret art however you want. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, what yeah. did he say about Ocean Machine then? As far as I know, it was sort of like more of a, it, w- it was an obsession about trying to get it right because it was the first record of his own solo music. 
So there was this, it was a real personal project for him as far as I'm aware. I don't want to try and speak on behalf of him too much because I'm probably going to get something wrong. But as far as I'm aware, it was, yeah, it was something that he slaved over for a long time. And, and he was writing the Strapping Young Lad stuff at the time, which is like super heavy. And it felt more like, you know, he was writing this really heavy record and, and was able to get a record deal through Century Media for that. But at the time he was like, yeah, but check out this thing I'm working on. And, and it was like, no one would care because it's too weird, you know? So there was this stuff that he was doing that was, while it's also incredible in its own right, I think it may have been the thing that he felt obliged to create versus the thing that he really wanted to create, which was Ocean Machine. So as far as I'm aware, Ocean Machine was actually going to be the name of his side project. So he was actually going to call his side project music Ocean Machine. Um, and then it kind of all got changed and he decided to name it after himself. And then Ocean Machine became the album title. So yeah, little little nugget of information there for you. Yeah. But um, Oh, I was going to say that would have been a good band project name. Totally. Yeah. In, in a way, I'm kind of glad he didn't do it because to me, the name of the album is so perfect to this record in particular. And I don't think it would have suited anything afterwards because ah, you know yeah. infinity infinity visually to me is so different and then physicist after that is like also completely different like every record really has its own identity so i think that's part of the reason why i like this album so much because it, it really there really isn't a record that sounds like this to me it's a very unique mix and production style and you know you might argue from a perspective of someone living in 2022 that this album sounds bad, but in my opinion, it sounds right. Like it just, it sounds the way it sounds. And because it sounds that way, it creates that imagery for me. So I think if this record were to be remixed, I would like it less. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I was gonna make a lame joke and be like, yeah, Ocean Machine would be a really cool like band name, but it's not as good as Glitterfish. But not, ev not everyone would get <laughs> <Glitterfish>. that. <laughs> oh my God. I was just going to say that that was a sweet Onslow interview throwback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally off topic and whatever, I'll cut this out afterwards. But yeah. I literally yeah. hung up from that interview last year and went like, oh my God, did I banter too hard? Was that too, too much? And I was like, well, I've done it now. <laughs> no, no, not, not even, uh, not even. If anything, you like Sean and I, Sean and I love a good banter. So you can go as hard as possible with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good to know. <laughs> All right. Well, back to the actual album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Are we looking for like a, like a track by track synopsis or, you know, cause I can, I can go deep on this thing. <laughs> oh, if you want, maybe let's just say, uh, let's pick out some key key tracks that key I should moments. really listen out to yep. when I listen to it. Cool, cool. Yeah. What do you reckon? Okay. So, I mean, obviously the, the, the record is is 100% supposed to be listened to beginning to end, but like I think a couple of key moments on the album, obviously the opener, Seventh Wave, like I was saying before, it, to me it just immediately transports you to that that world that he wants to put you in. It's kind of, it's a bit dark, it's a bit moody, it's stormy, but there are kind of moments of light as well. Like the chorus in, in Seventh Wave is so big and empowering. So yeah, I think like just Seventh Wave just puts you right into that atmosphere immediately. And it sort of keeps you in this sort of riffy atmospheric sort of space through, uh, through life and, and night. Once you get to the end of Hide Nowhere, the album completely takes a, like a completely huge shift. The very last chord of Hide Nowhere just hits you with this big C major chord. And then it just rings out 
and it just goes into this wash and you're kind of waiting to see what happens. It's just like, okay, where are we now? What's going on? And then all of a sudden it sort of turns into just this ambient track. And then there's just like acoustic guitar and it's like acoustic guitar and background ambience and, and like a, a vocal. And the song is like what, two and a half minutes long. So you're like, okay, what, what am I listening to? Because the first four tracks were just like, had so much immediacy to them. Every song has a big hook, you know, all the choruses are super catchy. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, okay, what's going on? And then from Sister, it goes directly into 3AM. And it's like really ambient at this point. It's like vocal and pads. And to me, those two tracks are like sort of the setup for this isn't just a record of big epic choruses and, and atmosphere. There's some intent to kind of change the pace a little bit. I can remember the first time I listened to 3AM and it, again, the song, even the song name like elicits an emotion to me that you're like alone at night and you're just like reflecting on the ocean and, and just like the lyrics, like time will be on my side. No, no turning back this time. You know, it's like really personal and he's just almost like he's thinking aloud and the music immediately puts you in that reflective kind of mode. So that's sort of almost like the beginning of chapter two or something, I guess you could say. And then for me, Voices in the Fan, Greetings and Regulator, which are seven, eight and nine, are sort of almost grouped together as well. Greetings is so cool. Greetings is like, Voices in the Fan is quite a dark, moody tune. And then Greetings just kind of comes out of nowhere and it's this big like hurrah moment. Uh, and it's, again, it's a really short track. It's like, you know, just shy of three minutes, but lifts you back out of this moody sort of middle part of the album and puts you right back into rock mode. And then Regulator is just a big ass rock tune. It's just like really fun, really epic, big chorus again. So like one thing about this album that I love is that there is a lot of complexity underneath and throughout the record in terms of where it takes you. But the songs also have just immediate hooks in them that you can just grab a hold of straight away and start singing. So, you know, I think in terms of uh, what this record has done for my own songwriting, it's really just been about, you can do all this complex stuff, but at the end of the day, you've still got to grab people by the balls and be like, listen. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to give them something that they want at the end of the day. You can't just kind of go off and do your own thing and hope that people follow you. You've got to give them something, you've got to entice them with something. And I, to me, he's so good at doing that. Like he's just, he wrote so many brilliant choruses on this album as well. So Regulator is just a, like a good example of just a, a big rock song that has a catchy chorus in it, but still maintains that cool oceanic atmosphere through the, through the keyboards and stuff. And then the, the last four tracks of the record is really like, yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it. it. It's so dynamic. Funeral to me, I get such a strong image with this track where it's like, I'm flying over like a glassy ocean. Like I, it's like, I'm not, it's like I'm flying. I can't see if I'm in a plane or something, but I'm just flying at full speed over this like glassy ocean with just like this perfect blue sky. And it's just this really nice, I don't know. There's something about that track that's just like so pretty to me. Oh, that's <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Bastard is like the opposite of that. Dirty, dingy, dark song. And it's probably, in fact, yeah, it's the second longest track on the album. And that one really sort of has two parts in it. Like the first half of it is really dark and dingy and, and 
if anything, that's the only point in time in the record where I'm almost taken out of that oceanic kind of world and placed in a dark, gritty city somewhere. But even then there's some like, like I was saying before, there's this like still sense of hope in all of it. Like even the darker moments, there's still a sense of positivity in it in a way. And then the death of music, the death of music is like, that song took the longest for me to understand when I was younger, you know, having a shorter attention span, that song is really slow, like really, really slow. It's 12 minutes long and it takes a really long time for it to go anywhere. And a lot of it has just weird whispering dialogue in it. So it is really bizarre, but once you kind of, if you listen to the record beginning to end and you get to that point, it's like that moment where you can kind of just sit back and again, reflect and be like, what did I just listen to? And what am I listening to right now? What's going on? And it just slowly, the hooks kind of just creep up on you over the period of the song. And then it just sort of cascades off into nothing. There's a bonus track, which feels a little bit separated from the rest of the album. But to me, the death of music, like the ending of that to me is sort of like the ending of the album, I guess. But by that point, it's almost like you're watching the final scene of a film and then as um, Things Beyond Things comes on, it's like the ending credits. You know, that's sort of how it feels to me. It's very cinematic. Yes, I definitely, there are only a few albums that I've actually felt this as well, but like when the last song comes on and, and as it's going through and it's coming to an end, like you can just feel, I don't know what they do or whatever they do with their instruments or playing or writing or anything, but it just sounds like the end. And I really, really like that as like just a nice, neat tying it off. I, it's that's my favorite thing totally yeah totally to me this album does that perfectly you just have to be very patient with it because it is a very very slow build at the end <laughs> um the i think to go off topic just for a bit but but sort of talking in reference to that i i'm a massive neon genesis fan um i'm not sure if you've seen neon genesis at all um it's like a it's an anime from the 90s and okay. yeah i'm basically a weeb so <laughs> <laughs> um self-proclaimed 90s anime nerd here <laughs> but there's there's a particular moment at the end of that show and it's just like a still shot and it, it's like a really powerful and epic moment and you've just sort of gone through this whole journey this whole story and then you just sort of like held in this moment because it's just it's literally just an image it's not even like nothing on screen is moving there's just music in the background and, and then just this image of whatever is happening and um to me there's this real parallel between the death of music and that moment to me because i was sort of listening and watching both around the same time and so i sort of have those two moments sort of married in my mind as being similar because it, yeah it's just this you've listened to this whole epic record and you've just got this like moment to just kind of sit back and let it kind of wash over you which is really cool so it took me a while to understand that that at least for me that's what it you know I'm not sure if that was Devin's intention but in order for the song to make sense to me it needed to be that sort of reflective moment a moment where I can sit back rather than being fully engaged and and being thrown about musically it's more a moment of just like all right sit back and just let it let it happen so satisfying massively oh yeah, this record is a very satisfying listen. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. But like, and I know it's Devin Townsend and he's a huge household name and amazing. But why do you think this album stands up in 2022 and it will in future years? Or, or it won't. It probably will though. Let's be real. Yeah. Yeah, I think it will. I think, I think the reason why is, is, and again, it's so hard to know the intent of the artist. It's, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, 
it's it's on us to know whether an artist really cared about an album or not but to me there is just something about the attention to detail on this record that's just it to me it's so perfect there isn't a moment on the record where you get pulled out of the the world that you're in you know your your disbelief is suspended i guess you could say throughout the entire record where you are really just absorbed in whatever is happening musically so to me that's why it's it's such a perfect record because it's it's doing something that that to me is very unique both musically and in terms of the ambience you know i can't really think of many records at all outside of devon's catalog where the rhythm guitars are layered in this like wash of reverb and delay and stuff like that that's a real quintessential like townsend thing to do and I think for that reason, it, it really will stand the test of time. It, I think you can still listen to it now. While some of the production might be dated to, to someone's ears, having listened to like a lot of modern, either modern heavy music or just modern music in general, the mix might be a little off-putting. But I don't think that matters when the album has such a strong sense of identity, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously having listened to it in my formative years, it's like, I've obviously, it's obviously got a, a special place in my heart and all of that music does. But I do think that people who have never heard Dev before will still pick it up. And if they're open to what he's doing, they will come away with the same experience that it's a full listen and that it is, yeah, it's like watching a movie in a way. That's cool. Pretty much leads perfectly into my last question. What are my listening notes? How should I listen to this? That's a tough one. Ah, okay. Take your time. Yeah, Do I need to yeah, be yeah. at, you know, somewhere by the ocean to get your kind of vibe? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think it even requires that. I think what it requires is just no distractions, if possible. That to me is always such a hard thing to, to do these days. We're always so distracted and, you know, occupied with a billion different things. And I think what the way that I'd put it is whatever it takes for you to be able to switch off your brain and just be present while listening to it is the best thing to do. If that means you have to be in a private space, if that means you have to turn off all the lights and almost do like a sensory deprivation thing, cool, do that. You know, I think thinking back to some of my first listening experiences, a lot of the time uh, the, the, the memorable ones to me weren't, me being in some picturesque place if anything that's distracting to the experience that i'm having um you know like i, I remember listening to strapping young lad city for the first time uh in my back room at, at my house and i was just listening to it i wasn't doing anything else and my mind was completely blown it was like one of the most insane first listening experiences of my life but all it took was for me to just switch off and just engage with the music and it was it was still just as good so, yeah, I think really it's just about trying to focus your attention more so than anything. That's cool. I would definitely do that. Do you have any other points you want to bring up about this album before we wrap it up? God, I don't know. I feel like I've wanked on enough about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think it's such a great album and I think it's it's also just a really awesome introduction to to a lot of his other work as well and and just to what music can be. You know, I had my mind blown in music uh, when I was growing up in high school, hearing about program music for the very first time, which was basically music that was composed for theater or composed with the idea of trying to paint an image. 
So it's, it's literally like, you know, like what I've been talking about where it, it transports you somewhere and, and creates an image of something. There was a particular genre of classical composition that was centered around trying to do this. And that blew my mind. I was like, oh man, you can do that. And then, you know, my teacher would talk about how that's possible, how you can use certain techniques to make it happen. And that was again, around the same time as I discovered uh, Dev. So yeah, I, I think the the album is just a really good example of what is possible with music in the sense that, yeah, it can really transport you somewhere, not just emotionally, but almost mentally and physically at the same time. It's like, a, yeah, it's like you can, you can be in your living room, but if you close your eyes and just listen, you can let the music take you somewhere that's not somewhere in the room, I guess. Beautiful. Very well said. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to listening to this album. 100%. Awesome. It's going to be great. Awesome. Yes, yes. All right, well, <laughs> amazing. There we have it. The one prog album that Scott K thinks that you and I should listen to is Ocean Machine by Devin Townsend. Scott, thank you so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it from your point of view. Thank you for having me on this podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Just, I think this is the longest I've ever talked about any one album that I love. So yeah, I really appreciate having that opportunity. <laughs> Do your research. <laughs>